We're traveling through the Acts of the Apostles. And this morning, there's a question that comes out of the the paragraph. Who's going to be king? Who's going to be the king? Last week, we discovered that uh, the people following Jesus in Antioch were first called Christians. And I think for most of us, uh, we've known that you know, probably, well, you know, what faith you, I'm Christian, you know, but I'm not sure how many of us have really dug in there and discovered, well, what, what does, when I say that, what does that mean? And so what we discovered uh, last week, the, the, the first time people following Jesus were called Christians in Antioch, which is in Syria. And I don't think that they decide, hey, we'll call ourselves Christians. I think what happened is that uh, in this cosmopolitan city, Antioch being the third largest city at the time in the world, it was a melting pot of Greeks and Jews and people meeting. Uh, I think people looking at what's called the church, they say, well, they're, they're the ones that belong to the Christ. So I think the name Christian came from others naming what they were seeing. Those people belong to the Christ. If, if you speak Greek, you're, you're saying those people belong in Hebrew to the Messiah. And if you say Messiah in Hebrew, what you're saying is those people belong to God's anointed king. So what you're really saying when you say, hey, you're a Christian, what you're saying is you belong, you belong to the king. And a way to just simplify that, thanks to N.T. Wright, is just to say, we're the king's people. We're the people who belong to the king. That's what it means to be a Christian. We belong to the king. Now, in the world of the first century, when a group of people became known as those people who belong to the king, it doesn't take long for those people who belong to the king, if that becomes something more and more public and more and more popular for the king's, to be a bit concerned about that. So one of the kings that will become interested slash threatened by those who belong to the king are, is, is Caesar, the Roman emperor. Because he's king. Hey, wait a minute. How can those people who live in my empire belong to a different king than me? I'm the king. <laughs> and they said, well... We, we will respect you as the emperor of the Roman Empire, but no, Jesus is our king. And then in the, in the Middle East, within Israel, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, there were the Herodian kings. And we'll learn a little bit about them. So Herod now, Herod Agrippa is the king. And, and again, so wait a minute. These people belong to the king. Well, are you talking about me, Herod? No, we're not talking about you, Herod. So you, so you can see how the question then becomes, you know, who's going to be king? Who's going to be king in these people's lives? So that's where we're kind of going. And the Herodian dynasty, it, you, you just have to, if you just read a little about it, they're called Roman client kings. They're a Jewish monarchy that served the interest of Roman patrons. And if you, if you ever study world history, if you ever study world empires, it's very, very common 
for world empires to set up kind of puppet regimes wherever they're ruling. And so when Rome moved into the Middle East, there was already a monarchy there. Herod was already a king. And they basically said, hey, we'll give you a choice. You can serve our interests or we'll kill you. I mean, you know, which, so what do you want? And uh, the Herodian kings decided, well, you know, it'd probably be better if we lived. And so we'll just, we'll serve Rome's interests and we'll stay in power. So they, would not, they wouldn't let go of their political power over the region and Rome pumped them up. And there, there, had, there was a history of violence between the Herodian monarchy and those that were following Jesus. Do you remember the wise men that came to Herod the Great? That were following a star. There's a king being born. And again, a king hears that there's a king being born. If that king is an insecure king, that king says, what do you mean there's a king? I'm the king. What are you talking about? There's a king being born. Well, there's a king. Well, where is he going to be born? Well, we don't, we're not sure. Exactly. Well, you go find out where that king is going to be born, and you come back and tell me. Wink, wink. Because I want to eliminate the competition. I'm the king. You remember that? And then do you remember the wise men got wise? <laughs> you know, we better not go back and tell that king about this king because that king really wants to put an end to this king. So they left, didn't tell him, but Herod still went into Bethlehem and killed the baby boys under two. That's violent. Herod's saying, there will there'll be no king other than me. And then remember John the Baptist? He was bold enough to say to one of the, the kings, hey, you, you, you can't marry that person. That, like intermarriage, you can't do that. And what happened to John? He was executed. His head was chopped off by a Herodian king. And then today we're going we're gonna to find out that, that that's going to happen again to one of the original 12. He's going to be executed. I hear it. So you see this, who's going to be king? Who's the real king here? If I could summarize by both what Luke will tell us, next week we'll run into this verse, but I'm just kind of bringing it to where we are today. We'll end chapter 12 in Acts with this statement. God's word grew and multiplied. And if I could add like a parenthetical note, and it couldn't be stopped. From the religious to the political powers of the day, this is a force to contend with. Something must be done to stop the momentum. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria are being swept into this movement. It's beginning to break out of these borders into other nations. It must stop before the world comes under the influence of this king, Jesus, and his kingdom. There's a perceived threat of Jesus being the king and the people who belong to the king and his kingdom coming. So in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5, kind of within this season that I've tried to describe, that's when King Herod, Herod Agrippa, got into his head to go after some of the church members. He murdered James, John's brother. 
When he saw how much it raised his popularity ratings with the Jews, he arrested Peter. All this during Passover week, mind you, and had him thrown in jail, putting four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, 16 soldiers. He was planning a public lynching, really a public beheading of Peter, after Passover. All the time that Peter was under heavy guard in the jailhouse, the church prayed for him fervently, most strenuously. You know, it's really sad as we're going through, I mean, this is the second time that somebody loses their life that is following Jesus. It started with Stephen. And Stephen was stoned. Actually, Stephen's death by stoning, that was kind of a religious execution. When you get to this point, and James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee, one of the first disciples called by Jesus, is beheaded with a sword. It's a political execution. I was just remembering, you know, remember reading these, I mean, these are like wonderful stories at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. A short distance down the beach, they came upon another pair of brothers. You know, the, the first was Peter and his brother. There's James and John, Zebedee's sons. These two were sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee mending their fishing nets. And Jesus made the same offer, come follow me. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they were so willing, you know, they'd laid down their fishing nets. They said, hey dad, we got a new calling you know, hope the business goes well without us. See ya. <laughs> and off they went to follow Jesus. Well, that, it's, that, it's that James. It's that James that lived with Jesus, learned from Jesus, represented Jesus. It's that James. For whatever reason, that James was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was arrested and beheaded. Peter was next. Herod, seeing that, you know, my, my political popularity with the, the Jewish establishment, it's not Jews in general, it's, it's this religious establishment in Jerusalem who was threatened by Jesus, who had a different idea of what Messiah would be, who had a different idea of what the kingdom would be. It's that religious establishment that said, yes, Herod, if you can help us get rid of all of these folks, that would be great. Let's go after Peter next. So Peter is arrested. And the, the same thing is going to happen to him. Herod is going to behead Peter as well. And it's all during Passover, and that we ought not to miss that. Don't know how many Passovers have passed between the time that Jesus was arrested and tried and executed, but it's the same season that this is now happening again in Jerusalem. So what do you do? What do you do if you're, if you're a group in Jerusalem and you've already been hit with persecution once, and most of you have been scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and a small group, mainly just the original 12 and their family, have stayed in Jerusalem, and now one has died, one is arrested, and you know you're next. What do you do? 
What do you do when hate gets to that level? What do you do when persecution gets to that level? What, what do you do? What, what this group did, they prayed. They prayed fervently. They prayed constantly. And they would have just been praying one thing. Oh, God. Oh, God, comfort us in our loss. Oh, God, we've lost Peter. We've lost James. We're about to lose Peter. God, help us. Preserve Peter's life. God, intervene. Do something. Now, the rest of that story is coming later. That'll be next week. But but if you kind of come to this place in this story that we're sharing, we've really kind of come to the halfway mark. In Acts, and it's and it seems like, gosh, is this this is ending on like a really sour note? But it, it really, if I could, hey, it's really something different. Because if you could back up to Stephen's death, as sad as tragic as that was, the result of Stephen's death is the news of Jesus broke out of Jerusalem and spread all over Judea and Samaria and even out to Antioch. Now what's going to happen with the death of James and the arrest of Peter, that's going to break out to the ends of the earth. So so one of the things that is communicated through this story is, as sad as death is, it's not the end. And this message of Jesus and the rule of Jesus, you can't stop that. The journey so far... For these people has been guided by the words that Jesus spoke before his ascension in Acts 1. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be be empowered. You'll be able to be my witnesses in spite of who arrests you and in spite of how you're going to be treated. You'll you'll be my witnesses. You'll, You'll tell my story. You'll deliver my message in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Being a witness, a lot of times we we use the analogy of like being in a courtroom. It's really not that at all. That's not a Middle Eastern understanding of that word witness. Middle Eastern understanding of that word has to do with heralding. Here's a couple of quotes from our friend N.T. Wright. In the world of the first century, when someone was enthroned as king, that new authority would take effect through heralds going off throughout the territory in question with the news. We have a king. There's not a newspaper. There's not a TV station. There's not a radio station. There's no internet. So the news of a new king goes through people that go out throughout the territory of that king's rule with a message. We have a king. When the 120 in Acts 1 are empowered to witness, this is what they're doing. They're just simply going out throughout Jerusalem and then out throughout Judea and out throughout Samaria and then up to Antioch and Damascus, Ethiopia, Northern Africa, and they're just saying, there's a king. There's an announcement. Announcement. There's a king. And his name is Jesus. And notice the apostles are to go out as heralds, not of someone who may become king at some point in the future, but the one who has already been appointed and enthroned. This is something that has happened. Jesus is the king. It's not that Jesus will be the king someday when he returns. 
Jesus is the king. We're here to announce Jesus is the king. And and that's what they've been doing. They've done that in Jerusalem. They've done that in Judea. They've done that in Samaria. I just kind of made a listing of all the places out of Jerusalem that somebody went and delivered that announcement. Jesus is the king. And if you just kind of track those, it seems like they'd spring out of Jerusalem, deliver the message, come back to Jerusalem. And go out again, they go out and come back. And then go out and come back. So, so Jerusalem remained kind of this hub of activity with the announcement Jesus is the king. Until Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria received the announcement. There's a new king. And that message had been delivered so successfully that Herod Agrippa, the political king, was threatened by it. What's happening? What's happening in this world? After initial opposition from the chief priests, that's with Jesus, And then persecution initiated by a zealous young Pharisee, that's Saul. The followers of Jesus now at last come in for royal attention. They have awakened Herod's monarchy. These people are trouble. Luke has told the story in such a way as to leave this first half with a direct showdown between the official reigning king of the Jews, that's Herod Agrippa, and the unofficial king, Jesus the Messiah. The good news of Jesus' kingly rule has been announced in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the local king, Herod Agrippa, who would be most threatened by this, has done his worst. He's murdered. Two of the leaders are attempting to murder two. He's done one, now he's going to do the other with Peter. And it hasn't worked. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped the rule of Jesus. He hasn't stopped the announcement that there's a new king. It's time to see what will happen when Jesus is announced as Lord of the earth. That's the announcement that you and I are. It's not just words. If I could bring us back to where we were last week. If someone asks you who you are, I'd encourage you to say, I'm the king's person. I belong to the king. Now, in the United States, that's probably, I mean, like, when I thought we had a rebellion, got rid of kings. Oh, no, no, I'm not talking about a political king. I'm talking about Jesus. And I'm part of a community of people. We're the king's people. We're the king's people. I think that is a wonderful handle to who we are. So we're we're the people that belong to the Christ. We belong to Jesus. We belong to the Messiah. We belong to God's anointed king. And because we belong to him, we belong to this rather large, strong, multicultural, historic, global community. Everybody on the planet, from the time that Jesus came till now, who said, I belong to Jesus, we're part of that community. And our identity 
is expressed through a kingdom lifestyle. We talked a little bit last week, well, what is that? Well, it's, it's a lifestyle that re- represents that we belong to a king. You know, when you, when, you, when you serve a king, you just don't get to do your own thing. I mean, you could try that. I mean, you could try, like, you know, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do this. You're my king. I'm going to do What do you think about that, Jesus? And he would kind of say, well, you know, maybe we've reversed roles here. You know, maybe I should tell you <laughs> what's best for you. Maybe I should, like, set the pace for you. You know, let me be the one that directs, and you follow, okay? And so one of, the, one of the ways that you and I can do that, he's given us this great prayer that we as a community can pray on a daily basis. Influence us. Influence us with the power and dignity of your rule. You know, whoever has power in our lives, whether it be religious, whether it be economic, whether it be political, that, that power source influences the choices that we make and the way we live our lives. I mean, if I was serving hamburgers, I noticed Jeremy's just, you know, in and out burger shirt. If I was serving burgers there, they would tell me how to serve those burgers. They would tell me how to cook those burgers. They would tell me how to make those awesome fries. Now, they would teach me how to do that. And if I wasn't influenced by the way they taught me how to do that, guess what? I wouldn't have a job. So think about where you're employed. What you do, I, I mean, somebody has influenced you. They want you to do, this is, the, this is the, the way we do this. And you either do it or you don't have a job. Some of us are in school. Usually teachers tell us, this is what I want you to do. <laughs> and if you do it, you're successful. If you don't do it, you're usually not successful. You get it? So when we ask Jesus to influence us with his rule, influence us with the dignity and the power of your rule, it begins to, to, it begins to be lived out. He teaches us from the inside out what he values and what he wants us to be and how we are to live our lives. And if we position ourselves like that, then we can kind of get to a place where we say, oh, Jesus we as a community of people that belong to you, we want you to do through us whatever you want to do in our generation. We're not going to decide what you want to do. We're not going to come up with the agenda and ask you to bless it. We want you to be the king who says, I want to do this through you on the earth in your generation. And we say, okay. That's what it means. To live a kingdom lifestyle. I want us. This is not just about me. It's not just about you. This is about us. This is about a group of people. Like the people we're reading about. That got this. They understood it. Now this is the last thing we can add from this week. If we do that. Then our allegiance to Jesus, our King, will threaten religious, economic, and political power centers. It's not that. I mean, it's, it's not... Jesus wasn't into world domination. That, that, that's not what he was... That's not, that was not what he was into. 
but who he was, how he lived his life, and what he invited people to become threatened the status quo. Whether that status quo was in religion, the power center of the religious in Jerusalem, they just basically, you don't fit the bill. You're not the Messiah that we thought was supposed to show up. And what you're saying about the kingdom, of, we don't understand the kingdom that way. The kingdom of God's supposed to do this. So you can't deliver what we expect, so we'll get rid of you. The economic systems of the day, the prostitutes, those women, we're, we're, we're talking about women that were treated very unjustly, economically. And Jesus turns that upside down. And you, you think, that didn't trouble some people? When Jesus cut into the profit that people made off of women? We're reading about Herod. This threatened Herod politically. The politicians love to manipulate people. And when you have a greater allegiance where you can say to your politicians, hey, I respect you, but I'm not going to be duped anymore. I serve a king that wants the best for everybody on the planet. This is not my particular brand of religion or occupation or politics. See, that can get us in trouble. Not that we want it. Not that we're going to say, hey, Noel, you're going to be the one we're going to offer up, buddy. You know, if we get in trouble, we're going to give them you. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not trying to get in trouble. It's just going to happen. And when it does happen, what are we going to do? What did they do? They learned to pray fervently. They learned to trust in a God. Even when it seemed, hey God, James died. And yet they still trusted that they could ask that same God to deliver Peter. Something's going on there about what people thought God was and what God could do. So I come to just, hey, can we please be the people of the king? Can we please invite him to influence us so that we really live a lifestyle that reflects who He is and what He wants to bring to humanity? And could we please, when we become a perceived threat, because I, I don't think Jesus, I don't, he, he's, he's trying to bring something good. He's trying to bring something of life. But it's a perceived threat. So when that happens, can, can we learn to be a community that learns how to really pray fervently and trust even when there's tremendous loss?
Can we do that? Last thing. This is a community thing. This is an us thing. I, 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 just, I think one of the things that Jesus is really trying to do with us is to do it with us. This works when it's us. This doesn't work when it's just two or three of us. It's us. Jesus wants a people, not just a few leaders. All of us. So would you like to stand with me? Can we just kind of invite the Holy Spirit to help us with maybe some decisions we need to make? I think really the, the very the very most the most important question you can really go down anything. It's just do, do do you belong to the king? Do you belong to the king? Have you taken the time and and um, the space, whatever, just to really look at what Jesus said about himself, what Jesus did? to come to a point of decision. I mean, he either is or he isn't. I mean, it's, it's a yes or no. So before we can go any beyond, we just, beyond, do you really belong to the king? Have you, have you made that commitment? Yes, Jesus, I believe you are. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you're God's anointed king. I, I, it, it's, it is, it's a belief. So just start there. Where are you with that? This, within the heart of your own heart. What do you believe? And then if you're still, you know, like wondering, have questions, man, I'd love to talk to you. Not, not, I mean, I want everybody to know Jesus. I have no qualms about that. But I sure enjoy great conversation, good questions. Um, but just any invitation, I love coffee. You want to have some coffee and chat? We can do that. But Jesus, I, I just now want to turn to us, not as individuals, but as a community of people. And it's really a community of people that's bigger than the, the people in the room. It's, it's really anybody in our city, surrounding area, the state, the United States, the world, that says we're Christians. And my prayer, Lord, is we would become the king's people. That, Lord, people would, would, would look upon us and say, hey, th those are the people that belong to Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be able to live in such a way that we would express our, our identity 
coming out of relationship with you in such a way that people say, hey, those are the king's people. And Lord, I pray that as we travel together on this journey that, that our allegiance to you and our commitment to one another to be the king's people would increase. And Lord, the most practical thing that I would pray coming out of, of what we've read today is, number one, that, that Lord, we would invite you to influence our community with your dignity and your power. And that together we would come to the place that we would invite you to do whatever you want to do through us on the earth in our generation. And that, Lord, those would become regular prayers for us, all of us, each of us. And that, Lord, as we go down the pathway of following you in that way, that, Lord, whenever it, it were perceived as a threat, the Lord, we wouldn't fight, that we wouldn't get ugly, that we wouldn't back off, but Lord, that we would learn how to pray fervently in, the, in light of sometimes great, great loss. The Holy Spirit, empower us to belong to the King. Empower us to live a life that reflects the kingdom that we belong to. And empower us to pray fervently when we go through hard times. I believe these are things that only you can do, Holy Spirit, in us from the inside out. And I invite you to do those in your name.